podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. Today, we have another very special guest from the Guerrilla Cricket Universe. One of the big honchos, Nigel Walker, the bear, who's one of the directors of Guerrilla Cricket, also one of the founders of Guerrilla Cricket as well as Test Match so far. Hello, bear. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, hello, Ajit. I'd say head honcho. Head honcho. I'm a head honcho. I'm going to say that. I'm going to put it out there now. You know, I'm going to have Hendo one day and I'm going to play him this clip and have him react to that. Well, you, you, you can play it to him all you like and uh, he can whine <laughs> all he likes, but you know. <laughs> all right. That's the assertive bear we know and love. Yeah. All right. Now, I always ask every one of my guests, what brought you to cricket and what's keeping you there? Oh, what brought me to cricket was the 1981 Botham's Ashes. I was 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was I used to be on terrestrial TV, funnily enough. And I remember watching uh, him bash out that. It was it was the um, Headingley Test, and I remember him getting his 147 or whatever it was with Dilly at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember getting up the next morning and watching Bob Willis bulldoze the Australians, and that really got into it. My brother played cricket, and then I started playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've always been one of these people. I think uh, I think most people prefer playing than watching. But obviously, I'm an avid consumer of it. And then once you get into the minutiae of the game, I mean, I was playing six days a week practicing. If I wasn't playing, you know, I, I played minor counties as a, as, a, as a youngster and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's what got me into cricket. Love it. And uh, consequently, wow. I've been doing this for years. I mean, for those of us who've been listening to Guerrilla Cricket, we know your skills. You're a left-arm spinner. Yeah. The orthodox variety. And, well, you have some fourth-rate thoughts as well. Yeah. <laughs> I can bowl in the IPL, Ajit. Yes, yes. This is what I meant. And I think you're still the highest wicket-taker of IPL 2020. Well, you know, absolutely. Yes, uh, yes. So, the question is, you played in minor counties. Have you? Did you consider a more serious career at some point in time or just life intervened? Uh, no. I mean, I think you have to be realistic at one point. I mean, I did. I mean, I, you know... You know, when you're a kid and you dream of it, I thought, you know, I can go on and do this. I could be a professional cricketer. But clearly other people didn't see it in you. And eventually you you realise that yourself. And I look back on it now and think, well, no, no, I wasn't good enough. I mean, as a left-arm spinner, I've got pretty pudgy little fingers. And, you know, I don't get much of a rip on the ball. I just had quite good um, quite good variation in flight and speed and angle, which was, you know, good enough at some levels. And then obviously the further you go out, the better the batsman get, you realise you're not quite good enough. But there was, there, was a, there was a, you know, a little snippet of a time when I was about 15 or 16 where I thought, yeah, I could be a professional. But soon got thrown out the window. No, that's okay. I mean, sometimes uh, I, I think I can actually identify uh, when the ball, when I felt the adult ball for the first time, I saw there was something missing. I can tell you the exact same thing. My own fingers were not that big to exert that sort of control, especially with the wrong one and the top spinner. Uh, so I, I see where you come from. But, you know, on an occasional day, uh, you can hear the ball leave your uh, wrist. 
there's nothing like it and you oh, get yeah. it wear out of your hand and those days come and go but not as often as you would like and well no i mean that's it i mean i'm i'm i mean i officially retired i suppose about five or six years ago and I, and i haven't really wanted to go back and play again i mean i just hmm. got to a point where i just realized i was too old to be running around a field with a bunch of youngsters i think To be honest, I think if my club had had a third 11 where we genuinely brought youngsters through and you could kind of go out to grass as a sort of older experienced cricketer passing on your knowledge to kids, which is how I was brought up when I started mm-hmm. when I first started playing sort of under 12s under 13s, they put you in the adult third 11 and you'd have all these guys who, you know, some were reasonable, some weren't particularly good, but they all had nous about the game and they played it for years and they and they were really encouraging to kids and I think as that was really good for me and I and I I see how my club uh sometimes especially one of the captains I played on bought on youngsters and it's appalling and it's not surprising that some of them didn't want to you know play for us again or we couldn't get members into the club. I mean if you're going to get youngsters in a team you've got to get them to Can't use the the skill that they're in a side for. There's no point in getting a, a you know someone who's 15, quite tall, bowls quick, but wayward and can't hit a length all the time. But then take him out. He's an opening bowler, and then you have him fifth change, bowl him two overs, and go. He's actually not very good, and and don't bowl him again. He's never going to want to play, is he? You got to mm. you got to accept the good the good and the bad. You got to play that game with kids, and um, that's that's what really helped me, I suppose, growing up. absolutely no i mean look that's a big deal so i do know what you mean there is something called a sunday midday league or the saturday midday league here and which is slightly less competitive and there is no promotion demotion from that league and it's usually as you say it's a combination of very young people and some people who want to still stay in touch with the game and play it for the sake of love no yeah rather than uh, result driven and it's it's also played in the right spirit those games right um i remember in one of my early days here uh, my captain uh, gave a player to the opposition who beat us in the <laughs> they were short we were 12 and my captain gave away one player to the opposition because that's how you play it you don't yeah. play and they that guy beat us but that's okay that happens yes. right but um well coming back to broadcasting so uh, i would like to take you back a few more years to when you started test match so far already so what brought about this idea of a test match so far concept and then of course it morphed into guerrilla cricket well yeah uh well i started with dan norcross who's now uh, at the bbc and there were probably three or four of us who started it off um and he just given up a job in the city and he was basically his brother was in california i think and there was no obviously no radio coverage outside the bbc i mean you got to remember 12 years ago and internet time is quite a long time ago or well, 2009 it was Absolutely. uh technology was all different you know it's a lot harder to, i mean i remember when we got on tune in radio it's like wow we've managed because we tried to get on apple and they wouldn't accept us but tune in was just like overnight they put us up there and we were on an internet radio thing but i mean broad broad uh, and bandwidth was expensive you know a lot of places you could only buy a certain amount of listens per day and all this kind of stuff which has massively changed over the years but essentially we did it because his brother wanted to listen to the ashes and um we he was my captain actually at the cricket club that i played for uh-huh. uh i was a sound engineer i used to be tv sound engineer so and i used to have a music studio way back in the day and so i had all this kit lumping around at home and he said i want to do this and i said and and i my i had two kids by then and my youngest was two years old <laughs> uh and my eldest was probably three and a half and the chance of actually watching the ashes at home that year was very slim so this was a good excuse to be able to go out and uh say to the missus i'm going away 
from the kids, even though they're youngsters and you're going to hate me. And I'm going to go and watch some cricket for four days in a row or five days in a row and talk about it for nonsense. So we did that first Ashes series and it was all very exciting and we loved it. Um, and so we decided it was originally, it was just going to be literally that series. And then we decided to carry on and then it carried on and it carried on and we got bought by the cricketer and then we got dumped by the cricketer, at which point me and Hendo and a couple of other people decided that they didn't want us to, basically we tried to buy our name back because they'd given us shares when they bought us. So we tried to swap our shares back for our name and our Twitter feed and they refused. And, and they actually asked us, please don't broadcast. We don't want you to broadcast. And we were like, well, sod that. You treat us like assholes for the last two years. Um, mm. And we literally went downstairs out of that meeting, <laughs> sat in a coffee shop, four of us, and said, right, you know what? We're going to do it. Um, and I still had some old kit knocking about. And we found someone who'd let us broadcast out of their TV studio. And we went in there and we started Gorilla Cricket in 2014. And somehow we've not missed a game since. Absolutely. Well, you've actually preempted a couple of my questions and answered them. I remember a part of the Guerrilla Cricket song, which we play before and after every game. I do hear a little bit of the story of first they try to buy us. Yes. I get you. Where are you coming from now? And the other thing was, I was going to ask you about your background and how it sort of came out to be such a good match to what you now do. And so you're, of course, the technical uh, head as well, right? Yeah. So you're the you're the man who makes it max. Exactly. Uh, that's why that's why I'm the head honcho, actually. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So no bear, no no broadcast. Uh, basically, yeah. Yeah. So also no bear. Sometimes, uh, even though it's all running, sometimes they tend to fall down. So we, we we've experienced all this firsthand. So actually, you know, I wanted to express that uh, I would say you know gratitude of uh, many people who live outside UK, where these days they simply yeah geoblock bunch of. Whatever feeds they're giving out, I, I must tell you frankly, I grew up with Test Match Special, and um, it was a sad, sad day that they decided to geoblock that. But then I'm very happy that I discovered Guerrilla Cricket. So um, I would like to say thank you on behalf of many of the listeners out there who enjoy your uh, work and long may it continue. Yeah, my pleasure. We go to the games, and we sort of had a quick chat before we began the began recording but let's start off with the amazing test today that uh, Sri Lanka would be really really feeling hard done by yeah I mean it's a funny year isn't it chases this year uh, maybe we've just spurred everyone into think that these chases aren't that hard um, I mean 344 for six in a final innings I mean the first innings was only separated by four runs so it did become a one innings game I think Sri Lanka probably thought they had it in a bag at 337 mm-hmm um but not so was it 160 in the second innings in yes quite, quite, not out. yeah Ab- Ab- abdullah shafiq mm-hmm. 408 delivery so it's not a quick one uh where was it was it in gaul uh it was in uh um, gaul yes yes so a turning pitch not particularly quick and you've got to think that jaya Saria probably feels a little hard done by you got nine wickets across the game mm-hmm. but a very good chase by Razam with a 50 um, yes. Rizwan chipped in, uh, all on the back of Abdullah Shafiq, though. You've got to say, well done to uh, Pakistan. And uh, long may long chases or hard chases rain this year because uh, it's exciting cricket when you get to see it, you know? Absolutely. I think 300 is a safe score is no longer a, an accepted thing or a given thing these days because I don't know if this golden period of test matches will continue. I mean, 
England added to it earlier in this year. We already saw it, but definitely in the summer, 350 is not a defendable score in the fourth innings. Apparently, irrespective of how the conditions are. As a Test match fan, I'm really thrilled for the batsmen and the batting team. But if you are a bowling team, you'll you'll be like, come on, what more do we need to do to win? Right? Well, I've got a few theories about this. I think <clears throat> I, I think. You know, I mean, it's been noticeable when England have done it. I mean, I didn't actually... I mean, I kept an eye on this Sri Lanka game because uh, it was quite close and everyone was talking about it. But I kept an eye on it via Crick Info. But just by watching how England have gone about it this summer, in particular, you... Uh, a, they never, they never hold back. I mean, the fact that you've changed Alex Lees from a blocker into a, you know, quite a punchy opener who's got some self-belief back, it seems, and is quite happy to play shots, is, is, a, is a great thing. And I think I, I, what I think bowling teams will learn is that, and to a certain degree, India screwed up because they got chances in that chase and they didn't take them. You know, that one that burst through Vahari's hands off of yes. Bairstow. You know, things like that. We forget about these. We go, oh, we chased down these scores. But in all those scores, there were chances that weren't taken that could have massively changed the game. I think in one of them, I mean, when, uh, what is it? I mean, um, Jamie, what's his name? Overton should have been given out LBW. Uh, they didn't review it and they had us all in all sorts of trouble in that first innings, that, that last game, for example. And, you know, small little margins. We always remember the victory, but small little margins there. I think the teams that are, that are bowling have just got to stick in longer. Um, I mean, it was very noticeable that India quickly went to a very defensive field as soon as England started playing it about. But if you trust your bowlers, you're not going to get chances. If you go to an o- if you go to an ODI field, you're not going to get the chances, are you? Mm. Um, and someone smacks it up in the air. But when you've got unlimited time per se, I mean, England had two days in that last test to score those runs. Right. If you stick with an ODI field and make them take the chances to go over the field or take a chance within the field, you might create that little half chance that gets you the wicket. And often with these chases, if the wicket gets broken, I mean, everything can collapse. So you, I think the bowling sides will learn to stick in harder and maybe the games will look, be a lot shorter. <laughs> Who knows? But, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's been exciting to watch. I'll give it that. Absolutely. So if you look at um, the game of test cricket, maybe it's reached a point where it's ready to evolve again and in a positive manner, because I think the original intention of Test Match was exactly this. In the third and the fourth innings, we will chase down no matter what we concede. Right? There have been some of those miraculous chases even in 1910s and 1920s. Yeah. 1948, Brandman's team did it. And India did it in the 70s, I think 400 plus, when yeah. it was sort of unimaginable, so to say, 50 years ago. Because all of 50s and 60s, they just kept blocking it for an hour and, and like a, a run and a half per hour and so on. So I think if we are just ready to evolve into the next level of test cricket, where you just say 350 is not going to be good enough, you need at least 400. So you'll pr- probably look to increase the difference between the runs in the first innings already, because knowing at least you need a 400 to win, you'll be that much more careful, I suppose. As well, a team. again, that throws up an interesting thing, doesn't it? Usually, the the side if you get a uh, if you get a sort of lead going into the third innings. You think you're on top in the game and you think you just got a bat and you don't really think about the score you've got to set because you just think we'll bat and we'll get into a position because we're ahead in the game. I mean, obviously, things can go wrong and you can collapse for whatever. But mm-hmm. again, you know, you get to a 250, 300 run lead. 
you're not really thinking, or you shouldn't be thinking about what with that amount of time game in the, in the game left. What sort of score am I going to set? We're just going to bat, right? But now it was noticeable again with New Zealand. They seemed to panic a little bit in the fourth innings and a wicket fell. They thought, well, what sort of score are we going to need? I mean, in that last test against New Zealand, we got the last seven wickets, for, I think, for 100 runs. And what was still quite a good deck, really. Right. And there was, I think there was a little bit, of, <clears throat> a little bit of panic in New Zealand about what's what's going to be a good enough st- uh, score. The heads got a little bit muddled, and suddenly England were back in the game, even though it was quite a long way to go. So you can put pressure on the third innings, I think, if you're going to bat like this. Right, that's the thing. So I think with the scoring rate increasing, with the introduction of T20s and the good way in which ODS have evolved to a point, I think. Um, Five days is now a minimum because uh, you would require that time to chase down a 400, most likely, which would be most teams would now set their margin up from 300 to 400 or 425 and then say, this is what we are going to set. This is what we need, let's say. And they're going to go get it, right? So, but with the scoring rates, what they are, I think it's still good that most teams will be able to get this, get these runs. And uh, but it makes it that much more interesting. But look, again, the bowling part of the game will fight back with all yeah. the support that that currently exists with all the analysis that currently exists you might actually have that what you actually said where occasionally a team might be 50 all out yeah right? um this complete lack of fear complete lack of inhibition complete lack of oh my god what if right there isn't one of those so you're going to say um, we're going to go all out at least the basketball approach here quotes right or tm i must say right mm. so uh, we'll see we'll see that's still very very exciting and as always, Sri Lanka somehow conceded the first test. I'm all eyes and ears for the next test because they then bounce back very well. At yes. least at home, they don't like to give away series. So Pakistan really outdid themselves, even with the ball in the first uh, innings already. The batsmen may have let them down a little, but they hang in there. They hung in there beautifully in the fourth innings and just won them the game. So this was this was what you would say a quintessentially a fantastic, fantastic test. I mean, these are the sort of games you live for if you're a Test match fan. Yeah, exactly. Close finishes uh, and all that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, um, at home, Schlanker are reasonably good, let's be honest. And they seem a little bit more settled, weirdly, considering the state of the, mm. state of the country. Um, right. It's like the, the, the cricket team are taking pride in what they're doing and, and trying to pull the country up by its straps. It's no bad thing. Well, look, there are other other things that are having a knock-on effect based on how they are and what's going on in the country outside of cricket, right? So you see a lot of tests were played in Gaul. The last three to four tests were played in Gaul. The next one will be played at uh, PSS in Colombo. I think that one will be a different pitch where, you know, it's still going to be traditional spinners dominating pitch. You might not see these sort of a chase in the fourth innings, but remains to be seen. But what I meant to say, Sri Lankan cricket now at least has to give up the rights of hosting the Asia Cup at home. They will remain hosts, but it's most likely going to be moved to uh, the Middle East, where between Dubai and Sharjah, they're going to play it out. So, because it's set to be played from end of August, right? So, yeah. do you think this is a good thing for the people of Sri Lanka? Probably not. Yeah. But, um, you know, if it's so unsettled there, uh, well, it's only, yeah, exactly as you say, it's the end of August, it's only a month away, you can't see it. Sorting itself out by then. I mean, they seem to run out of all sorts, don't they? Petrol and fuel and, and the country's virtually bankrupt and it's in a right old state, which is a shame for Sri Lanka. 
and it's going to be hard for them i mean they are a nation that rely heavily on on tourism and covid has done them untold damage i'd imagine mm-hmm. which is a shame but, but absolutely look it's it's one thing having a bilateral tour where you're able to host one team if you have to support the logistics for i don't know five six teams and then have like multiple three to four grounds ready they have all of this infrastructure in place just it's not geared up for this sort of a tournament given the crisis that the society and the country is no. so we really no. hope you know they're able to bounce back quickly and then you know uh, still we we want a good sri lankan team and we are very happy to see them they they achieved something that most asian teams haven't so far in places so let's hope they are able to bounce back and uh, you know maybe host the acc asia cup in the next iteration whichever team would host it would let sri lanka host it just because they gave up the rights once or they had to right yeah now be nice moving on let's go to let's quickly touch upon the uh, last game of india's tour of england where were you surprised at all by the maturity shown by pants or was it something you expected no i mean i think if you can do it in a test match you can do it in odi mm-hmm. um I, yeah, it was difficult wasn't it i mean i don't think england scored enough runs in any of those games when they were, they were put into bat and we somehow got out of it in that second game uh i was watching the third one and thinking we need, we need to get either pant or pandia mm-hmm. reasonably quickly because actually from where they were at the point of those two came together the score was easily achievable if they just went along at a reasonable rate and once we didn't get them out and the runs start getting down i mean i was watching it with 80 runs to go and they were still there and i thought oh, this is done already isn't it and and i think that frees up the batsman's mind and certainly after you got a tiny hit what four five fours off yes five balls second to last over completely freed himself up you know it was probably a monkey off his back but <clears throat> he's a, he's a quality act and if you let him if you let him loose um i think you know he's proved it in t20 he's done it in tests you know odi eyes are no different i think you just get on and you go out there and you show your stuff and he was on it yeah i mean the belief that i think he's rediscovering the belief so his his role in the test team is never in doubt his role in the limited overs team was sort of a little bit shaky based on how he was playing really but i think this this innings is very important in terms of the evolution of rishabh pant the player the way i look at it he's sort of look if he plays any amount of time 60 70 balls he'll usually be above 100 runs per ball scored or whatever right so he will always have a strike rate of 110 120 beyond that if you look at his t20 and odi record it's a little bit less compared to what a player of his quality would achieve so i think this is such an important innings that he believes now that all he has to do is go out and bat 80 or 80 balls 90 balls and that's enough he'll he'll do what is required to take his team across so because in this specific game he actually played at under a 100 um strike rate for a very long time right it was actually pandya who was doing the hitting so the other big let's say take away for india is pandya is the man of the series so he bowled and took six wickets in three games and yeah. scored 100 runs so pandya has announced himself to be ready come the t20 world cup or maybe the world cup for next year the odi world cup so these are good things i think we saw a little bit of uh, rung b of bowling when it came to indian reserves so shami was there but and earlier in the series bumrah was there he won the first game himself but you still have siraj krishna all of these people and spinners who are sort of having their own battles to de- decide who's the top who's the second one and so on So all of this was very interesting from an Indian perspective, but from England perspective, what did you think of the bowling attack? Because they did equally well, I thought. 
Well, I think, yeah, I mean, this is it. Uh, They're like the second string, and they're okay. Uh, I mean, I thought generally England just didn't look on it Mm. in that series. Uh, And India looked really on it, if I'm fair. I mean, uh, you're right, Hardik Pandya looks reborn again. I mean, bowling at good pace, hitting the deck hard. Causing England bats from problems, um, and I think overall you had a, a, a nearer first-rate bowling attack than England have had all summer. Again, well, you know, we're going to touch on South Africa, but again, when we played yesterday, South Africa's bowling attack was nearer their first string than England's. Well, I mean, England yesterday was quite poor, and I didn't realise that Potts had gone off with heat stroke. Oh, wow. I wonder why he didn't come back. Yeah, apparently he was, he was suffering from the heat, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I thought I, I think Reese Topley is a good find. I always thought he was good but before he got injured five years ago. I thought, you know, he because he bowls that bit quicker than Willie and Curran. Curran and Willie are just that little bit too slow, I think, for the top end of international cricket. Yeah. Whereas Reese Topley's got the pace, he's got the angle, he's got the height, hits the deck hard and can swing it. So he's good with a new ball and he's quite good when he comes back. You've got to find a middle overs bowl. I mean, you've got to think we we were without Archer Wood Wokes was uh, is, was our yeah. World Cup winning yes. winning um, bowlers. So we're without that, and that's been replaced by various. I thought Overton bowled okay. Um, certainly, uh, to me, he's not a Test match bowler, but um, he, I thought he bowled all right in the ODIs. I think Willie has been around and about there for forever, isn't it? He's always like the almost the, the bridesmaid, never the bride, because oh. he's, again, I think that comes down to him just not being quick enough. He did all right with a bat as well this time, though. Um, I think Cass could possibly take the Liam Plunkett role in the middle, um, which would be mm. good to see because uh, someone needs to replace that role. But overall, I think our bowling was just a little bit weak and uh, we're not going to win a World Cup like that. I was more concerned with our batting, to be honest. Exactly. Uh, I was going there. I mean, if anything, the batsmen were the ones that let England down and led to the loss of the series for me. So, yeah. what seems to be the problem, at least of the two skill sets, batting looked closer to a proper batting lineup, right? Stokes is walking away. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, if you look at that batting lineup, you say that's probably one of the strongest batting lineups we could put out in a game that you want to hit the ball as hard as you can and, and get it over the boundary at points. Um, and it just didn't fire. Hmm. I do wonder whether just the proliferance of T20 innings and the fact that we haven't, we haven't, I mean, this is the first ODIs we've played for a year. I don't know about India, but. India definitely played more, yeah. Yeah, and it's like they've forgotten how to pace an innings. <laughs> you know, everyone's just trying to biff it like a T20, and actually, you've got time. I mean, it's an ODI, you've got 50 overs. You don't have to go off like a rocket and try and hit everything out of the ground. Mm-hmm. You've got time to get yourself in and pick pick your bowlers to hit at times you can always go back in your shell a little bit for in the game it's a decent bowler comes in play them out and then go and target someone else later i mean i've said this on air i mean my i think the tactic now for odis is to basically get to 30 overs as many wickets in hand and around about six and over and then play a t20 from 30 overs if you've got nine wickets left, you've got seven wickets left. It's a little bit harder. You might leave it a little bit later. Mm. Certainly, if you've got eight and above wickets left and two set of batsmen, one of them has to go from 30. And then, you know, 
one person holds down the other end and in this England side you, you'd hope that like yesterday Root was still there towards the end if he'd have had help from the other end Root's not going to score slowly but he's not going to bash you loads of sixes but there are plenty of players around him and that's how we won the World Cup you know everyone was in it and there were partnerships and everyone knew what their role was and how to pace the innings and where they wanted to be at this point and that point uh, and I think England just kind of looked a little bit not sure of what they were doing the other day <laughs> the other day which is kind of odd um and uh, again i get back to them not possibly just being on i'm not sure how much it really mattered to them there's no points on it there's nothing actually on it it's just cut the bilateral series just shoved into the middle of the middle of the uh english summer mm-hmm. less la- less crossover between the odi t20s and the test sides means that I think the you know, in the olden days, actually, these these, te- these bilateral series kind of added spice going into the test matches. I mean, I remember the, the ODI series before the 2005 Ashes was mm-hmm. toe-to-toe with Australia. We weren't going to stand back because most of the ODI side were playing in the Ashes, and so it was the same with the, the Australian side. Mm-hmm. And so it was like one upsmanship going into the test series. Well, that kind of thing is no longer really relevant because you have two virtually different strands of cricket with different squads. So there's not even that to play for to get the one upsmanship for the series because it's not really going to matter. Hmm. So um, there's a bit of that in there, I think. Well, I mean, I think most teams are sort of still still working out their combinations for the shortest format because there's a World Cup this year, right? Hmm. And these uh, ODIs do matter because there's a qualifier qualifier or a qualification race still happening. You need to finish in the top eight to not play a qualifier later on. Right. So from that perspective, I would say that there is some there is some pressure and England probably put out a very, very competitive side, even though they had a second string uh, bowling lineup. Overall, it looked very impressive. The scheduling is as such that at least you can always put out a second 11 or a first 11 or a third 11. And then get, so somebody once said, I think India has three complete 11s ready at any point in time in at least two of the three formats. I think yes. most countries are moving towards this sort of a situation because you saw from the Indian series to the South African series, there's like a turnaround of two days. And now for India, it's the same that there is a turnaround for of hardly four or five days and they're playing a series in Caribbean very shortly, like 22nd they begin, 22nd July, right? So that means half or more than half the squad is already there sort of training and the other half, one or two really important people would go join them. I think the, the depth, at least this is one of the positives, if at all, the positive that uh, cricket has taken out of Corona is that the depth of the squads is now quite deep compared to any other time before, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, India's exactly that. I mean, you look at the, I mean, I haven't watched the IPL now for a few years. You know, it's all these players coming up into the, into the, the main Indian sides and different squads at different times. And, uh, and they certainly got a lot of players who are there or thereabouts who can play in multi-formats, especially the white ball stuff. You could fit, you know, and as you say, there's, there's two or three different teams you could pick and think, that's not a bad Indian side that they've rocked out here. It might not have the big boys in, but it's certainly got some very capable people mm. who can win this match for you. So, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. But that's that's the split in cricket, isn't it? Now you've got people who are going to stay as red ball cricketers and everyone else who's a white ball cricketer. Mm gets an opportunity where they wouldn't have previously, I think. 
well what remains to be seen is uh, with all this depth such storied players and what not if india is able to then go on and win a world cup somebody pips them to the post it's more like you know one of these well uh, drilled teams like a germany or a netherlands when it comes to world football and then eventually in italy or a portugal or a spain who are more bit more flair dominated come and win a world yeah. cup so let's see if that that's how it's going to be this year so if you were to move on england then played a odi against south africa i think well you brightly said that south africa had a better uh, closer to a first 11 that they fielded against england and did you see a difference in at least experience when it came to the bowling lineup for example rabada is actually not there it's just norke who's leading the attack not so much with uh, well south africa got themselves in a position today i mean they decided to bat the pitch was uh, i mean batsman dusen had a cracking innings mm. uh, and that score looked quite high and he thought well england can follow this but clearly that wicket got hard as a bat on mm. uh, it wasn't coming onto the bat at all and that made it pretty difficult for england but uh, england's opening spell i mean I, was, i did the opening 10 overs and to be fair england didn't look like they were going to take a wicket <laughs> it just looked really up and down and uh, the ball wasn't doing anything and sound africa looked really happy and you thought hmm we're in for a long day here it did get harder later on but they were already in by then and the fact that we couldn't break that second wicket partnership killed us you know and you get partnerships like that in an odi they often win you the game so i mean that's that's i think you put your finger on the difference between the two sides even though south africa also did not take a wicket for the first i don't know 1920 overs in the game they always looked to be in the game though maybe it was just the scoreboard pressure or they always looked to be in the game because they actually opened with their spinner the captain kesham maharaj opened yes. right with lungi ingedi and they sort of saved Heinrich Norkey for a slightly older ball, right? Not giving him the new ball, and then also I thought he used his other spinner Tabresh Shamsi very, very effectively, right? And Aidan Makram chipped in with two wickets with his uh, right arm oh, off break filth, whatever you call it, right? So filth, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and I was a bit disappointed with the work put in by um, Adil Rashid, but you can imagine he's coming back off a long layoff and he needs to work his way into the game. and liam livingston <laughs> broke through and took two wickets towards the end for england so he sort of did the role of what you would expect adil rashid to do and i thought moin ali was steady but for me uh, sam karan should he open with the new ball when there is a no there's a car <laughs> it's quite quite simply not really i mean it was it was uh, i mean he opened with was it pots yeah yes, it was him yes. and pots and pots was off really off color i mean after i mean they got to about 43 and actually sam kind of bowled quite well in our opening spell i mean you got quinton de kock mm. and i i think at one point i looked at the, they bowled four or five overs each must have been four, four actually, each, yeah. before yeah. the end of the first year and at that point sam kind of gone for 11 and uh Potts had gone for 35. I mean, Potts was just spraying it all over the place. He was, uh, it was his debut. He was a bit probably. It was his debut and clearly he was suffering, but um, let him get away early. And when they opened with a left, you know, they, you know, they opened the left arm spinner. Obviously, Jason Roy is useless against spin. I mean, <laughs> uh, well, he's not useless against spinner. He's used to against spin when he comes, if, it, if it's bowler hand first up, you know, he's fine if he's in, but uh, you bowl it to him straight away. He looks confused. Um, I mean, South Africa got him. I think first ball of the World T20 last year, didn't they? Right. Keshav Maharaj, mm-hmm. uh, you know, chipping it up to cover, trying to smash it out of ground. So he's always a bit wary about that. But he, 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 you know, Jason Roy slowly seems to be coming back into gear. He's got a couple of forties in a row now. Looked upset that he got ASD. He wasn't particularly fluent yesterday. Bairstow suddenly getting in. I worry about. I see so much talent in Livingston. Mm-hmm. 
And I just think he throws it away so often. He just tries to be too much of the big man. You know, sometimes he hits a couple of big shots and then rather than reining it in and doing what someone like Root would do, which is tap the next ball, don't take any risk. I've got 10 or eight of the first two balls of this over. I'll tap one into the leg side. I'll get myself a single, give the other guy a go, get off strike. If he hits a four, all well and good. If he gets a bad ball, you've got to rotate the strike. Mm. Uh, and he seems to just go like hell for leather to try and hit everything out of the park. And it gets himself out. He gets himself out, which I find really annoying more often than not. When you are playing against quality bowling attacks, it, I think we saw more of this in the Indian series as well, where if you don't give a little bit of respect back to the bowling and maybe score an occasional single, as you said, you've hit a four already, maybe you've hit two fours exactly right, that you then quietly run and stand on the other side and, uh, you know, let the over go by. So, yeah. I think even I think Maxwell has the same issue. Sometimes you see Livingston having yes. the same issue. I won't use the word ego, but just I would use the word eager. Too eager to score runs. You're not waiting. I don't know. I think, well, yeah, I think ego does come into that. You know, that, to a certain degree with Livingston, I see that he's, you know, he's been told this. He's been bigged up as this big thing. I mean, the first thing I saw that was that amazed me last year was, was it the T20 against somebody last year and he scored that ton. And you just thought, wow, you know, that's impressive. But for me, whenever I've watched him since, he's done it occasionally, but not that often. Gets himself out too often, you know. Um, and it, I guess it's kind of okay in a T20, but less so in an ODI, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you still need that long format skills in the ODI. Where I thought Root played Precisely. a beautiful innings. Very, very well measured. Yes. And between the three of them, they had given a solid, solid start for... Uh, England and it was the that you would think that middle order would finish it off. Butler, you have Moin Ali, Livingston, and Stokes. Well, Stokes, it was his yeah. last game, probably a lot of emotions riding. I, I I wouldn't put too much into it, but the other three and even you had Sam Curran to follow. So I was a bit disappointed they couldn't finish the game off because by the time Johnny Bairstow was out in the 24th over, England were two for 125. That's sort of pretty correctly set up. From then on, you couldn't finish it. Off. Yeah, they were they were a bit far behind the rate, though, weren't they? I mean, and I think that's where the pressure came. I mean, it was you know, uh, 333, we think, can be chased down. But England only chased scores over that, I think, six yeah, times. Okay. Batting second. So, you know, we think that they're capable of doing it. But it's, it's a big scoreboard pressure does come into it. And um, it was difficult to bat. England weren't keeping up with the rate. And it was running up at eight, which eight these days isn't, you know, not chaseable. But if the wicket's not conducive, and that was certainly, you could see it put pressure on certain players to try and hit bigger shots than they probably wanted to at the time. I think they needed to have some patience, but they just mm. didn't. Mm. Uh, and they, they got ground down by the school wall pressure, which can happen. Absolutely. But you have to hand it to... Uh, I mean, I, I don't really rate Shamsi as a bowler, but he's bowled really well yesterday. He's a very improved bowler. Uh, so one thing I can tell you, yeah, um, he's beginning to trust his own skills and his own nows, so to say, a bit more than a couple of years ago, I think. And therefore, he's able to actually make sure uh, he's giving you one or two breakthroughs. Even sometimes he goes for a few runs, which is what that lineup needs yeah. from him. Because between Lungi Engidi, Norkia, and when Rabada comes back, they have a top, top-notch fast bowling attack. If you have one yeah. or two spinners, you have Maharaj and Shamsi here who can back those two, back those three That in this case. You hardly need anything more than that. Those five, can you imagine what a potent attack. So... Do you see any by plays or is it just uh, both the teams biding their time before the test series starts in the limited over series? 
No, well, that's what I mean. No, I mean, now Ben Stokes has left. I mean, who's going to go into the test side from that ODI side? Root and Bairstow, and that's it. And I don't think, uh, I mean, you know, if they get them out a few times, maybe there might be something there. But, I mean, in in, in terms of England, not really. I mean, Rivada's only come, is he coming back? He's only for the T20s. And then, obviously, the test series, yeah. And I imagine Norkia and Dwayne Pretorius and uh, Lungi and Gidi will be around a test. I think they're in the squads anyway. So. Malaz will be there as well, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, nah, I don't think there'll be too much of that. Different squads, different players. Yeah. Maybe those particular bowlers against those particular batsmen. But I, that's what I mean. In the bigger sense, I don't think it goes through into the test series because there's not enough crossover between the two squads. Mm. As I was saying earlier. Fair enough. Yeah. So then, you know, we should uh, quickly revisit. Did Ben Stokes do the right thing for himself, Stokes, for England, for himself? You see that as a decision you agree with, what he did? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think he made a point that he thought he was playing too much cricket and um, he needed a rest. Clearly, his body isn't uh, 100%. 100% of the time. I mean, <laughs> the amount of times he's in hobbling in the outfield right. and he still carries on playing and he still carries on bowling. So, you know, uh, he's he seems to be happy to play through it. Maybe it's just his natural demeanour, but, um, you know, he's an all-rounder. Right. All-rounders can't play. The amount of cricket he plays without injuring themselves, more than likely. Um, and he's... It's probably easier to play T20s if he really wants to play tests. If you're going to play another format, I guess T20s is easiest to play, isn't it? It's only 20 overs in the field, and you might get a little bit of a bat. You might have to bowl for a couple of overs because he's an all-rounder. You might have to bowl a full four overs. So, And there's money involved in that too. Um, obviously, if you can get a gig in a decent league somewhere, it's, it's usually decent money for a short period of his time. So I, I don't have anything against it. I think he's done. I mean, I, I, I do see a sort of transition away from the, the World Cup winning side, right. you know, uh, Root retiring, Joffre and all those bowlers injured. You wonder where they're going to go. I mean, Morgan retiring. Uh, I mean, it took them five, six years to get to that World Cup. And I guess everyone gets older and, and uh, you know, Liam Plunkett again out the window as well. So kind of change, changing the guard, changing the captaincy. And uh, we'll have to see where it goes, really. Fair enough. But hey, we won it. And that, that's a, a massive monkey off England's oh, yeah. back. I mean, it's our yeah, fourth, yeah. fi- fourth final. We finally won one. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that, that was past overdue, definitely. And look, South Africa is still fighting that. And it's, it's good to have one big world title yeah. and then the rest you can carry on with um, the rest of the plan. And well, look, I think nobody really panned Stokes for retiring the way I saw it. He's trying to put his career and his career as a test match cricketer above everything else. And in England, you're really respected as long as you continue to, you know, do that. And I think this decision was sort of made for him already the moment he was made the captain of England test team in my, for me. And T20, he would always play with his hitting, with his, what you say, the amazing skills he has as an all-rounder. He would always play T20s and money is rightly there. And I actually respect him for taking this decision. And not simply sticking around and then playing like 10 ODIs or 8 ODIs a year just to be still playing the format, just calling it quits, completely working out that format out of your schedule. You give yourself a lot more breathing space, right? So I really respect him for taking that decision. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I don't know. No, he said minute. he wants to play 130 150 tests for England. I don't know if that will happen, but that's fantastic. That thought process itself is very very nice to see. That's why I I appreciate what he did. Now, if you we were to move on, I think uh, we can have a quick chat about the New Zealand Ireland series. I don't know if you got to catch uh, or if you caught the um ODI series where you know a couple of really close games, a lot of heartbreak for Ireland especially that last a lot game. of heartbreak. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of heartbreak for I mean I I did. I mean I didn't see them again. I, you know, I followed them and you've got a feel for Ireland. But I think we mentioned this, didn't we, in in one of the games we were both on a while back. I think, you know, look, Ireland are a, a small nation with not much cricket history particularly. Uh, they've got a team together and to be able to push New Zealand in two uh, games, you know, they lost what did they want? They lost one with one ball exactly. remaining was the last one you know uh and they fell one run short in another game um to be able to, I, I, to a certain degree that's a result for Ireland isn't it i mean if you look back i mean okay they've had some great players and Owen Morgan played for Ireland but i mean if, if, going back 10 years they've got battered in almost everything apart from against england because because everyone beats us Aww. but um well, yeah, but it's it's about consistency as well, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to get battered all the time, it's really boring. But if you get battered and you're nearly there and you're nearly there, it pushes you on that little bit, right? We nearly got it. Next time we will get it, exactly. you know. Um, and if you can keep the team together, they'll keep, and you're playing a bigger side, you will improve. Uh, and I think it's you know it's a good effort by Ireland. They shouldn't be downhearted that they lost uh, both those games by such small margins. I mean, it probably hurts at the time, but they should be proud of themselves that they can do it. And I, I don't mean that in a you know patronising way. I think it, you know, well, yeah. it's good. I see them. where you're coming from, and I agree with you actually. So, I think the next step for them is to find that sort of consistency, where you have these uh, very very uh, startling results, but you alloy that with a bit of consistency and maybe get to score 260 plus every game, and then they're going to start. getting those results as well consistency consistently and exactly and if they and if they do that hopefully they you know they'll get more players who are interested as well and they'll find a couple of live wires and you know strengthen their strengthen in depth and all that kind of stuff i think those days are gone now now that they're a test playing nation maybe the real worry of losing um, players to a full member nation like england or any other which plays tests is not really that much of a problem however it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy the better they play the more they win the better chances they get and also that will also translate into more money and more test match opportunities it's it's a big vicious cycle right but ireland are on the right path for me yeah you know there's a lot of people in england who will come up playing county cricket over the years coming forward going forward who will have some sort of irish heritage and if they're not quite good for enough for england they'll be able to play for ireland and that'll strengthen ireland's team you know i mean there's some very good county players out there who aren't good enough for england but you know good good players they just never quite make it for you know the more teams you got to enter the more chance you got playing it oh, absolutely um, they murder right for case in point for me at least yeah exactly he took a five for in test you know. so I mean, he showed what he's made of i mean he did not get to play for england but he showed it's probably england's loss i mean you have a golden generation yeah. now but probably broad and uh, anderson kept a lot of really good bowlers out which can happen Yeah, but that's okay. That's exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, before we move away entirely from English cricket, did you see the finals or maybe followed a bit of it? The Vitality T20 Blast finals. 
I followed a blast and Hendo was giving us me the last two overs on WhatsApp. Mm. And uh, how Lancashire lost that, I don't know. <laughs> they really managed to fuck that up, didn't oh. they? I mean, what was it, 36 of 34 or yes. 38 of 36 they required? Yes, yes, 36 of 33. And they still had Luke Wells and Tim David at the crease. And they somehow botched that job. Yeah, I mean, it can happen. I mean, I do remember watching an IPL game. I think it was, was it the last IPL or, the, or the, the, the finished one just before Christmas last, last year. Last year, the one that ended in October, potentially, I think you're saying. Yeah, and there was there was a game there where I can't remember who was playing, but I was definitely on with Jack. And uh, some team, I can't remember who was, you know, these are, they're all melding. There was a team that needed something like 18 or 24 um, with a hell of a lot of wickets in oh, hand, yes. and they ended up winning it. And they ended up winning it off the last ball and lost about six wickets in in the meantime. And it was like, what are they doing? You know, so it can happen. Um, and people do tend to panic because they think, oh, I still got to hit big shots. Um, and then new bat comes in, tries to hoik it. I remember being on air. Another one. I remember being on air with um, an Indo, and uh, I remember clearly Ashwin was bowling. Uh, they got a wicket. And out came Karen Pollard. And they didn't need a lot to win, but you thought, Karen Pollard, okay, he's a biffer. If I toss this first ball up to him, he's going to try and hit it. If I get it right, and I'm lucky, he missed times it and gets caught along on. And I actually said exactly what I would do as a bowler to an Indo, and exactly what Ashwin did. And Pollard got himself out along on because people need to score runs and have to take chance and have to go for the off. And it doesn't always go right, right? So... These things can happen, but it's, it's harsh on Lancashire. But hey, look, I mean, the they even goes. had another go, right? There was a no ball off the last ball. Yes, you thought that was one. mad. <laughs> that was totally mad. I, I mean, I, I, I got in to do the next, the next day, and they had the highlights on. I didn't realize that happened until I watched mm. it, and that's a big kerfuffle. You know, because then effectively with someone in the middle of the pitch could have been run out if anyone had known. Exactly. You know, because <laughs> everyone was probably standing in the middle of the mm. pitch. Yeah. Well, I mean, they yeah, had another tough. go, but I think a lot of credit to Nathan Ellis, the Australian uh, fast bowler. And uh, also Luke Wood, I thought, did a wonderful job. And so the, in the end, it was just Hampshire who had that more belief that they just wanted to say, let them score the runs. Let's not give it away to them. You see a bit of that, uh, even at the lower leagues where we play sometimes. Even with 30, 40 runs left, even if a team has five, six wickets, you can make them panic a little. Right? So Yeah, you can always do that. It happened. Wickets... Yeah, exactly. And wickets mean an awful lot in T20 cricket. And there's always one round the corner, if you believe, because of the nature of the, the game is everyone's trying to hit out all the time. Just got to get them to make that tiny little mistake and hope it goes to the right place. And you've got five guys out in the outfield. Everyone's trying to smash it over the boundary. Hmm. Well, there's a chance one goes up in the air. You know. What happened is I think there was also a bit of drama because on the last ball, um, they thought they had two runs to win and they were not happy with the fact that the game, the ball was considered dead when it was, because they were sort of thinking we can run another run and still... Because if they had tied the game, the title would have been Lancashire's. So, I think I, I can... Yeah, I didn't get that either. Why didn't it go to... Why wouldn't it have gone to a super over? Uh, so, they didn't tie it. They lost by two runs. So, basically... Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, had they had they leveled the scores... I think it's something to do with yeah. the playing conditions. Oh, man, you got to have a super over. I think it's more like lesser wickets lost plus a combination of lesser wickets lost and higher power play score. Yeah, but maybe you do that after you've had the super over. You know, if you can't decide, you know, or you just keep going with super overs like doing the IPL. Yeah. It's kind of drama, isn't it? That's what you want at the end. I of think it. they will 
modify these uh, rules in the coming year again i think the common sense sort well, of they might get rid of the blast and you know got 100 now well, i don't want to go there because <laughs> i think i know your thoughts on that but uh, well yeah well i mean look when t20 came in in 2002 2003 whenever people also talked about t20 the same way until now today it's become a staple i don't know if there are multiple uh, chances still there is a three team tournament as well right if you remember south africa experimented with it previously mm. um, so yeah we don't know oh God, yeah that's 660 something like this i think uh, west indies are trying to bring in a new format yeah but you see the thing about it 60 mm. is a multiple of 6 yeah which is an over right. <laughs> that's that's the thing about 100 i mean they just gone uh, the whole the whole idea of you know doing it like that it's just I mean we all know why it's a marketing exercise isn't it for some reason they think they can you know trademark the game and they and then the ECB kind of feel that they missed out on doing that T20 I don't know what they were thinking about because I played T20 when I was a kid I mean it's a standard format for kids to play so mm-hmm. why someone thinks they can market and sort of copyright a, a brand like T20 and a game of T20 I don't know where that came from as to why they came up with 100 right 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 well let's see i mean you have an elite marketing team that came up with a few suggestions yeah. i want to back that yeah. because i have my own <laughs> thoughts as well well i mean now if you were to move on well some interesting news from off field so first we start with something that's close to my heart maybe also yours so netherlands have qualified for the t20 world cup they qualified for the finals of the qualifying tournament where they actually lost to zimbabwe in the finals it was a little bit of a one sided game unfortunately but along with zimbabwe that means they have qualified and they'll play another additional qualifier in the world cup stage already so well done to the dutch team so they went to zimbabwe with the goal of qualifying and they've achieved that so they'll get to showcase their wares once more at the top stage and this is very very important for cricket growth in this country i mean god knows we've spoken enough about it over here and also a very very pivotal result as far as zimbabwe are concerned there yeah uh i mean so who's in the, the qualifying groups then you've got um, i think it's it's scotland it... sri lanka zimbabwe there's four in each group yes, isn't it yes. if i remember last time yeah and then they go through to a final don't they qualifying final final yes. thing uh, and then two teams get through only the two teams anyway. which is uh, i mean the finalists got through here and there again two teams will get through again at the next stage yeah. Yeah, which of course Bangladesh and Sri Lanka will be hoping it's them and, and presuming it will be mm-hmm. them. Uh, we nearly had the upset last time, didn't we? Right. Um, did, was it Bangladesh lost one of their games early on, or was it Sri Lanka? Sri Lanka wasn't it? Lost one of their early games. I think it was Sri Lanka. Back. Yeah. Yeah, but they both managed to qualify in the end. I mean, you'd expect them to go through. Mm. Um, but again, I mean, I always say, I mean, the thing about T20 is exactly that. I think the shorter the form of the game. the the closer to parity you get between mismatched sides if you like due to the sort of gambling nature of T20 and the fact that everyone's got to go for it so you never know you can always have an upset look England bloody lost to the Netherlands in the T20 when it was in England and that was a big shock uh all those years ago so uh, these small teams can do it. I always think Afghanistan are a good bet that is an outside bet to win a T20 World Cup just because they got some bangers and they got you know Rashid Khan and some half decent bowlers and mm. they can do it but um we shall see mm-hmm. okay now moving on i think uh, we can look at the other interesting news which is that uh, well ramdeen and simmons have chosen to retire both west indian former internationals from international cricket when it came to either of these was there really a surprise for you to hear that they have retired Not really. They've both been knocking on a bit, haven't they? 
Um, Simmons is what thirty nine. I don't know exactly how old. I'll also is, have to I mean, see, but I think Simmons is a little younger than that. Potentially thirty six or thirty seven, maybe. Okay. Yeah, he's thirty seven. Could have hung around. Well, is he retired just from international cricket? Or no, no, he's just retired from international cricket. Both of these, if I'm not wrong, they would play the Caribbean Premier League a little bit. Exactly. They're just going to go on to, you know, <laughs> go on to the circuit around whichever leagues will take them and pay them money. Both are thirty-seven. Both Ramdeen and us. Uh, oh, there you go. So they got they got two or three years left. They can get themselves in some competitions. Mm-hmm. They both got they both got pedigrees and playing T twenties particularly. But yeah, you know, they've got they they've got a chance to go and make some money. I mean, I don't think. Um, you know, the West Indian cricketers, we all know the state of West Indian cricket and the, uh, the state of the board and the fact that there's no money there. I mean, look, England aren't going there for five years, which I think is yeah. pretty disgraceful, um, considering how, you know, the once great side that they were for a very long time. It's, uh, I think everyone in world cricket thinks it's sad that they're reduced to where they are. And it's not particularly right. Um and you can have a whole other program on why and the wherewithal and what should be done about this sort of stuff. And we talked about an awful lot in the West Indies series. So, um, you know, if they want to retire, let them crack on and go and make some money for the rest of their lives. Mm. We move on to the next important news. It's just that, uh, well, Graham Smith has sort of been appointed the uh, person in charge of the new T20 league, franchise-based T20 league, something that's going to replace Mzansi Cricket League that was there previously in South Africa. And probably, you know, some other interesting news is that six of those teams, all six have been brought by, bought by people who own IPL franchises. Does that surprise you at all, Bear? It doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, I think the, what I'll be interested, and we, I think what interests me here is if, because Indians have bought a lot of CPL teams, haven't they, as well? And the IPL invested in I don't know if they own or but they've certainly invested in heavily CPL teams I think what interests me is whether having done this investment by the IPL franchises they force the BCCI to be able to make some of their players available to other leagues so they can monetize these other leagues back home at the same time in much the way that the IPL I mean the, the great thing about the IPL is the amount of uh, I mean considering the amount of talent that has been gained by India by having the IPO and the fact that you have these big squads of 25 players. Mm. The fact is it four or five? You can have five, can't you? Overseas no, four, I game was it? Still, four. It's four. It's four. Addressing those things, we are going to discover them as it comes out. No, no quotas, no um, targets to be met there, and four overseas players per team, if I'm not wrong. So similar rules. I mean, so there you go. I mean, if you can get players from around the world, you can attach, you can attract viewers from that. Um, you know, from those places to watch it. If India can get some of their Indian players out there, they've got another block of cricket. That whole bunch of Indians, where they make shed loads of money in India on cricket, will be able to watch their favourite players playing in another league around the world. And it'll be interesting for them. It'll be all oh, different conditions, different this. Who are these bowlers? And they get to see all these other players from around the world. You know, if they're smart about it. I mean, uh, South Africa are another board that are completely underfunded considering how great they've had sides over the past. You know, I mean, 
we've had Empo and Simon on yesterday, and, and, and all the shenanigans that went on at the beginning of last year in in South Africa, and the fact that Gorilla Cricket South Africa got given the rights to the radio coverage last uh, for the Test series against India, just gone this this Christmas, literally given them. No one would buy them, right. you know, and it's like. Uh, for such a great series and, and and such a proud team, you think they need to inject some cash in it. And I think at the, the bottom line, unfortunately, these things kind of take precedence. The fact that they've cancelled that series against Australia and they've pulled out of the ODI series in Australia because they think this is much more important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an indictment on the state of the game worldwide in some respects is, and, and quite exciting in others, I think. Right. I mean, for me, well, whether the six IPL owners can bring their cloud to bear and get BCCI to change or relax their regulations about not allowing Indian players to play in other leagues while they're still playing for Indian team and so on. I'm very curious if that can happen. Let's see how that goes. Well, I, I, you know, I mean, as you say, the, the wealth of talent that we've seen in, in the IPL, I mean, you've got not now 10 teams with squads of 25. To be able to let a few of those players who aren't going to play for the national team if they're not playing, and the IPL window starts in March, and this is going to be what this is going to be basically January, isn't it? Isn't it January to pretty much four weeks of January, as far as I can mm-hmm. figure out? Um, so they're not going to be playing in the IPL. Are they going to be playing a test series at home? They might be playing a test series away, but there's only a few places you play away. Uh, and there's a hell of a lot of players who've got nothing to do otherwise. Why not, you know, some of the bigger names who aren't going to be included in that? can certainly draw in an audience and they have to think about it. Surely. The domestic season of India would be underway. The domestic season in India where you have Ranji Trophy and a lot of other uh, limited overs tournaments well, would already be underway. Excuse me, Ajit, but we get our players nicked away from our fucking... You know, from from our domestic seasons everywhere else, mm-hmm. they just got to be a bit more savvy about it. You know, I mean, is 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 the Ranji Trophy is it monetized in in India in any big sense? Not really. It it is shown on TV these there, days. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I'm beginning to monetize it, but purely from a monetary perspective, no, it's not that much of a cash cow. No, I mean, it's like county cricket here. I mean, you know, you give county cricket a chance to go and earn. You know, I'm sure they'd be asking their management, can I go and play for three weeks in a PSL or whatever? It's not the right time of year. But, I mean, you know, um, these things come around. And, and players, I mean, as much as I hate KP, <laughs> um, and he can be an arse sometimes, some of the things he says are, are wholly true. You know, a player's got to look after their own welfare. And if they can get offered money to go and play somewhere and it's worth their while rather than getting a smaller salary at home sometimes you've got to look after yourself your plan career is short look uh, sometimes in that sense he's absolutely right so sunil narayan at some point in time he decided to prioritize ipl ahead of an international career with west indies the reason was he got paid seven times his west indies yearly salary when he played for those four to five weeks in qp in IPL. Exactly. so you can't really really blame him if he ever did that so in a way, KP is more no. of a modern cricketer, a much more evolved modern cricketer who does not necessarily um, let go of the loyalty he has for a team, but has an eye out, out for himself. That's, it's not a particularly bad, oh, yeah. bad thing to think of. I mean, I, I would not always put all the things he puts out, his thoughts, but that's another discussion no. for another day, right? <laughs> exactly. Most of the time, he's an arsehole, let's be honest, but you know. Uh, in in between all that shit comes a few little pearls of wisdom, there you go. one could say. So now if you were to quickly look at the Indian squad, so the Indian uh, tour of West Indies is starting as as we already discussed, 22nd of July already. So India have sent sort of another um, 
I don't want to call it a second string squad, but they have a slightly different squad. So if you look at it, the ODI squad and the T20A squad is led by Shikhar Dhawan. And um, there are a bunch of players missing. So you don't have Bumrah, Shami, Kohli, Rohit, Pant, who we would put as the top first five names, so to say, in most formats for India. They're not there. On the other hand, uh, for the ODI team, uh, you have Shubman Gill, who's made a who's got a place. You have Avesh Khan, Arshdeep Singh, right? Huda has got another chance. So when you look at all this, they are they're trying to uh, test their bench strength. Of course, Sanju Samson and uh, Ishan Kishan will be the keepers. They have enough balance there because Jadeja is there, right? And then Shikhar Dhawan leads this 11. And then Chahal is no, uh, he's very experienced. Shreyas Iyer is there. So all of these people along with Surya Kumar, that's a very, very bright squad nonetheless. Would you think uh, West Indies would feel a bit, little bit done by that they, 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 they're not getting the top cream de la cream of Indian cricket coming to tour? Uh, yes, if I'm honest, they probably will. Uh, whether they'll still get battered, probably looking at these squads. Uh, I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> they might well do. I mean, and look at what I done just done against what Bangladesh at home. Um, I mean, I could make a pretty good eleven out of these players here that I think could probably beat the West Indies. I mean, you still got Siraj, he's a very good bowler. Might not be first pick, but he's a very good bowler. Mm-hmm. Jadeja, Axel Patel. Where are they playing in the West Indies? So they'll be playing in Port of Spain, Basseter, okay, and Lauderhill. So they're actually playing also on the US mainland in uh, Fort Lauderhill in the somewhere in Florida. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, see, that'll be good. I mean, that'll be a little money earner for them. But I mean, there's some good. But I mean, Shikadawani, Hudo's, as you said, Guy Quad's not a bad or bad. Ishan Kishan can be explosive. Shreyas I always liked, mm. uh, and I think certainly as a white ball player, he's he's very good. Axel Patel, as you're saying, Virginia, uh, Jadeja, spinners led by Siraj. Prasi Krishna didn't do, didn't do too badly over here, no. sorry. You still got Shubman Gill and, and, and Sky. Yes. Sanji Sampson, I've always liked him as well. You know, he can hit a long ball. I mean, that's a, that's a good, that's not a bad score, but they will complain. If anything, right, so you have a certain change which you would not expect. So Ravichandran Ashwin and Kuldeep Yadav have got a chance, along with Dinesh Karthik in the T20 squad. Whereas Pant has also been included in the T20 squad. But in the ODI squad, you will see Ishan Kishan and um, Sanju Samson. So sort of they've done a swap of whom you would think would normally be in the T20 squad to be given a chance to play the longer format, even Deepak Kuda, for example. Right? Yeah. So it's it's very interesting when you look at that. And then they're giving one more audition to the likes of Ravichandran Ashwin and Kuldeep Yadav in the T20 format, along with Jadeja. Jadeja is your banker. But you have, again, Hardik Pandey also coming back for the T20 squad and Harshal Patel, KL Rahul. So it's... It, it, they are playing with enough players that they know they can, as I told you uh, earlier on, Bhuvi is there, that they can probably make three full-strength squads and not really worry about it. Yeah, so far, yeah, exactly. And for half of that, the, I mean, okay, so the T20 leg, you're still going to get a row hit and you're going to get Jadeja. Hardik Pandya has come back into being a superstar. Carol, he's a superstar, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some of the big boys are there. Okay, they're, not, they're missing... And, and, and Shamling, but I mean, they can be replaced. And I'm I, I, sadly to say, probably against a, a team of um, West Indies strength. If you look at uh, this squad and the proximity to the World Cup, there's a huge name missing. Do you think he's done? Kohli. Yes. Do you think that this is the end of his T20 international career for India? You know, I, find, I, I love Kohli. 
I love and I hate Coley, and I've told you this before. I love the fact that he's such. I hate losing to him, but I love the the, the man he was on a pitch when he was captain. Mm. And I think, I think they've taken a bit away from him. I mean, people said he wanted to step down. I still don't know. I'm still not convinced he wanted to step down from the test test captaincy. No, no, he didn't want to give up the test captaincy by the looks of it. No. Uh, and I think it's shorn a bit of a bit of him away. And I, I he looked a little. I mean, he didn't. I mean, when he came out to bat, he still played all the strokes and looked good and then got out. Mm. He just looked like he's been a little bit hollowed out almost. That he's not, you know, he's still doing everything that Cody does, but mm. without the captaincy, it's kind of like his, his golden cloak or whatever has been taken away from him. And right. he, he looks a bit out of place, like he needs a, to step back, I think. Mm. I don't know. Look, we've been mentioning this for a while already, trying to say that, I mean, he has nothing to prove to anybody. It's just, if he can get no. back to his best, there's nothing quite like it. I mean, we were talking about it halfway through the IPL. We also mentioned it at different times in different series. I think it's an imposed, imposed holiday he's been given to see if he can go back and maybe for one final time to see if he can get that, um, that hunger back that he's going to try and uh, play to the best of what he can. You're absolutely right. Every time he comes out to bat, you would think he would simply go on. He doesn't seem to ever be struggling. Just that he gets out after making 17-20 runs. Yeah, right? exactly. That's That points to something in the head rather than something to do. Well, yeah, exactly. It, it does. And, uh, you know, and maybe some time away. This is it. He's got to rediscover a love for the game. And, and if, you know, if he feels he's been treated badly and it's taken something away from him and he needs to step back, you know, reappraise his life. Hmm. Maybe take some time out from being an in India. You know, I, yeah. I presume it's I presume it's hellish for him being an in Indian. I imagine for all these superstars, it's actually quite harsh. Hmm. Take some time out, go on holiday, take the wife and the kids. Has he got kids? I think he's he got has kids, a, he has he? a young daughter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just go and sit on a beach, turn a phone off. You know, you you mention it, but he him and his wife. They're both superstars. His wife is a big actress, right? So uh-huh. um, it's so crazy that they went to uh, Iceland, if I'm not wrong, for a honeymoon or whatever. And in a restaurant they were sitting, they found Indians. Oh, and Christ. they had to request those guys, please don't post anywhere online that we are actually here and you'll have a whole crowd of people coming here to just, you know. And the yeah. other day I was seeing somebody, I think one of the Indian cricketers was taking a walk on the England streets where they were touring at that point in time. It's like everything stopped. People just started crowding around this person. So this 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 craze is probably going to get you at some point in time, right? So yeah. he needs to completely take a break if possible. At some point in time, uh, Yuvraj Singh and Rana and these people also were in Europe because they are less recognizable here. Certain yes. parts of Europe, right? Well, go I mean, to Italy, so, go to Spain. That, well, yeah, that anyone in Spain would recognize them, you know. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Apart from a few guerrilla cricket listeners, maybe. Um, you know, Sanchin's famous. He got a house here, doesn't he? He spent a lot of time in London because yes. people didn't really recognize him, you know. And uh, you, need, you probably need a break from that. So we really hope, you know, this guy can rediscover his mojo. We don't want him sort of uh, drifting away or sort of fading away. We want him to burn bright whenever his time comes to call... Uh, his career over. We want him to be burning the brightest at that point in time. Right? Exactly. That, that how old is uh, how old is Curry? Is he thirty five or is he's thirty five? He's thirty five. He's you know if he wants to, he's got another possibly four or five years. I don't know. I'll go to his forties. Maybe you know maybe another two years. You get another two years. I went. Sachin went on till he was forty, didn't he? Yeah. So he only did until he was thirty nine. But I don't see that sort of a mindset of Kohli. I mean, he will not take anything short of his best. So. 
if he cannot rediscover it the end might come sooner than one might be ready for but uh, yeah um, Sachin was just chasing that final hundred wasn't he for about two years and the, and the BCCI tests, exactly exactly and the BCCI were just determined to let him play until he got it <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. another story for another day yes. as well lots lots to unpack if you ever go down that road but <laughs> if if you were to come back to this I think yeah I mean this is a very well balanced squad and the BCCI is giving enough portents to already give us fans as well as himself enough of a hint that you may or may not make the squad i mean on the current form and on his performances in ipl he shouldn't be in the t20 international squad for india so that that's also coming through in a correct way but let's see if he can rediscover his mojo in tests mainly and odis he was always a odia king odia champion right yeah, yes champion exactly you know precisely i mean uh, you knock it around sweetly and and accumulate scores like almost no one else in odis and yeah uh, uh, you know for the good of cricket i hope he rediscovers it It'd be sad to see him go out and retire from this sort of phase of his career just because he felt it was no longer viable and he he lost uh, he lost it. Exactly. You'd like to see him come back, score a few more tons, da 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 da, maybe last for another three years, and then go out on top rather than go out where he is now. Those are all the topics we wanted to discuss for today. Thanks for a lovely long chat. That's fine. It's a pleasure. Um, we'll see if it's possible, but I would love to have you again. This has been so nice. I haven't seen the time, the amount of time that's elapsed. It's went on so organically. So <laughs> lovely. If I've got this feeling, I hope our listeners also get the same feeling that it sort of flows smoothly between topics. And it was really wonderful chatting with you, Bear. It was good fun, Ajit. It's good to have you. And, it's, and, we're, and we're glad we finally got you on on on, on GC. You know. oh, thank you. And time permitting and interests uh, keeping me where I am, I would love to continue contributing as far and as long as possible. All right. Cool. So anything you would like to plug, Bear? before I let you go. <laughs> well, I could plug... Well, GC, of course, everyone should listen to Gorilla Cricket. You can find us at our website, gorillacricket.com. Absolutely. And uh, we're always doing covering England matches and we're always covering uh, major tournaments. And there's always audio on our website and you can always see what we all look like on yes. YouTube and Facebook and things. <laughs> well, uh, sometimes they say don't uh, meet your heroes or look at them on YouTube. I'll leave it to yeah, the wow. discretionary powers of our <laughs> listeners. Bunch of bunch of mainly fat old white blokes. Is, <laughs> yeah, can be a bit off-putting, but don't worry about that. We're all friendly. Absolutely. But more importantly, we would like all our listeners to listen to Guerrilla Cricket, but also become members of the Patreon. So you have Absolutely. Maximum, a wonderful newsletter that comes out every week. There is the Bishop and the Bear or the Bear and the Bishop, depending on whom you speak to, podcast. The Bear and the Bishop. The Bear and the Bishop, we call it now. Yeah. So this podcast, of which I've been also a guest once, I've been lucky enough. Yeah. So all of this and a lot more Guerrilla Cricket has to offer. Just for the jingles, you need to tune into Guerrilla Cricket. Right, Bear? Yes, absolutely. Jingle-tastic. Thanks a lot. Uh, good day to all our listeners, wherever they may be listening from. Bye-bye. Bye. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.